So this morning we're, uh, we are continuing our series, Ugly Christmas, right? And we've been in this series and we've looked at the way that, uh, yeah, Christmas isn't always the prettiest thing. And last week we even saw that, that God does a beautiful thing, right? He did a beautiful thing in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the birth of Jesus Christ, it was beautiful, but it wasn't always pretty, right? There were moments along that journey that were hard, moments that were difficult, moments that Mary and Joseph wanted to turn back, moments where Mary and Joseph wanted to say, I can't do this. And actually, my prayer is this, and I, you know, the story doesn't give you all the details, but I know that this is true in my life. That's it. There's moments in my journey, in my story, that I say, hey, I can't do this. So I, I pray that Mary and Joseph said that. I believe that Mary and Joseph said this. I can't do this. Um, but you can, God. And, and we saw last week that God doesn't work for you, right? I think that was the last point of my sermon. God doesn't work for you. God works through you. And Mary and Joseph were a clear example of that, that God works through us. And so, yeah, Christmas might not be pretty sometimes. It might be pretty ugly. Um, but God will do an incredible thing, beautiful thing in us and through us when we trust him. So we're week three of this series. Let's pray and then we'll get into our message. God, we give you thanks. Um, yeah, we give you thanks that... For the beautiful baby Jesus in the manger. God, we give you thanks that no matter what forces, no matter what people, no matter what circumstance, no matter what difficulty, no matter what hardship, we thank you that Jesus was born. In spite of all the different things that seem to be working against the birth of Jesus, we thank you for that. And God, we pray that you help us to focus on Jesus, the beautiful baby who was born in the manger, did incredible things in this world, and understand how that affects our life today. God, please help us as we open the scriptures to understand it more clearly. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come to the funny thing, and, and uh, well, we have a, a photo booth of sorts in the back, a photo backdrop if you want to uh, stand back there and take a picture, a Christmas picture. It's it's kind of pretty and kind of ugly at the same same time. Uh, one of the things in my life that I always, uh, I, I hated growing up, was taking pictures, right? You remember school pictures when you would, you would have your annual school pictures and you would get, maybe you would go out and get this nice outfit or you would put on the best outfit you had and you would get your hair cut and, uh, and you would go and take these pictures and they would always have this kind of awkward backdrop behind you that was never really, you know, especially looking back at those pictures, kind of like a solid color of sorts. And, and you would sit on this stool, and, and the thing that I didn't like the most about taking uh, those pictures was you would sit there on this stool, and they would tell you to sit up, and you would sit up, and you feel like your back is arched. But the photographer always seemed like, it almost always felt like I was tilting my head sideways. Right? The photographer would always say, a little bit to the right, a little bit to the right. And I always felt like I was, I was making this funny face that was just really uncomfortable and trying to put on this fake smile that, and just worried that the picture wasn't going to turn out right. You know? Um, there are there are times when pictures turn out uh, awkward, right? And in fact, have y'all seen some of those ugly or awkward Christmas photos? I, th- I think we might have a few uh, on the screen. Yeah, uh, this is one of the things that I've noticed this year. Actually, I was talking to my wife about this just the other night. I said, uh, you know, people try to match. Uh, for Christmas pictures, and sometimes they match too well, right? Take that into consideration, because I've seen a couple this year already where they match too well. I think there's a few more, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, whoa! That's a violent Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, what's next? 
<laughs> hey, dad doesn't wear a shirt. Dad doesn't wear a shirt. That's just the way he rolls. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's, there's always plenty of joy in Christmas. I think, is there another one? I think that's it. Uh, you know, here, here's the thing, right? Uh, these families dressed up and they got ready for these nice, beautiful, memorable Christmas photos. But the reality is this. No matter how hard we try to make Christmas pretty, right? No matter how much effort we put into it, how much money we spend on outfits, sometimes it just doesn't come out right. Sometimes Christmas is is just hard. And these pictures remind me that Christmas isn't always the prettiest thing. Sometimes Christmas is, is ugly. Now, we've been saying for now three weeks that the first Christmas was a pretty ugly Christmas. And this week we're going to see uh, there was a Grinch who almost stole Christmas, right? And that Grinch's name was Herod. We read about him in Matthew chapter 2, right? And he was bent on trying to stop this Christmas thing from ever happening again, right? And he wanted to actually take Jesus out. Imagine that, right? Someone wanted to take Jesus out uh, and and not like out in a good way, right? Uh, So in Matthew chapter 2, let's look at this story. And I'm going to read a a significant portion of Matthew chapter 2. But I'm going to begin right at the very beginning. Listen to what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, come report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Then I want to jump down to verse 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were under, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You see, Herod was the Grinch who almost stole Christmas. He was set out to end this thing that he heard about that was happening. Um, but the good news, I think, of this story and the good news for us today is that no matter, how, no matter how hard things may be, no matter how stressful the Christmas season may seem, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how ugly our Christmas is, Christmas has already happened. 
right? Christmas has already happened. Jesus has already come and Christmas has happened. Herod was unsuccessful. He was unable to stop Jesus from being born. He was unable to stop Jesus while he was a little child. The mission has been accomplished, has already been set in motion, and Christmas has already happened. So there's no such thing as a Grinch who steals Christmas. Christmas can't be stolen. It's already happened. But I want us to look a little bit deeper at some of the details of this story, right? especially at this life of Herod. You see, Herod was the king of Judea. The Judea was a territory over which God reigned, over which he was king. And that wouldn't make him the king of the Jews. <laughs> we got another sweater coming in. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. <laughs> All right, I can I can help myself. All right, so so back to Herod, back to Herod. All right, let, let me let me focus in. Somebody said to me this morning, I hope you have a fun time trying to focus up there. <laughs> uh, so back in back into Herod. Let's focus in there. So so Herod was the king of Judea. He ruled over that entire territory. He was ambitious king. He was a um, he he was a uh, he was a uh, kind of barbaric king. He was determined to leave a legacy. He was determined to make a name for himself, uh, and and he did this in one way. And I, I was reading this, and I was like, and, and this this is no, nothing against women. I'm just saying that from my perspective because this is the only way that I can talk. Right? And Herod had ten different wives, and I'm like, bad move, brother, bad move. Right? I, I wish I could have been a friend of his and would have told him. And it may, it's the same vice versa. I'm sure I just wouldn't know that. But ten different wives that. Herod had. And these 10 different wives gave him a hard time, right? Um, Because they all wanted their son to be heir to his throne. And so here we have this guy that kind of emerged in this ancient world, right? As this dictator, almost this ruler who um, he actually converted to Judaism. It's an interesting story. Like he married this Jewish woman, converted to Judaism and built the Jews a temple. But he wasn't a Jew, right? He wasn't born a Jew. He didn't really believe he didn't uh, he didn't follow by their practices. But because he was the king of the Jews, he kind of had to abide in a, some kind of a way. He had to abide by their rules to some degree. Um, but ultimately, what we see in history is that Herod did whatever he wanted to do. And when someone stood in his way, he took him out, right? Herod didn't have any problem taking someone out. He killed one of his wives. He killed some of his sons, his friends, people that stood in his way. Herod got rid of them very quickly, right? He had no problem doing it. He was a Grinch. He was a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Grinch. Uh, and he was determined to stop anything that threatened him. And I think the irony of this story is this, that he was even able, not able, wanting to stop this baby from being born. He was wanting to stop Jesus from growing up. Now, here's what happens here. Now, and you may, it's easy to miss because um, little, the story doesn't really say that Herod was king of the Jews. Um, but he was known as the king of the Jews in that time. That was because he was the king of Judea. That was where the Jews lived. He was the king of the Jews. But if you go back to that story in Matthew chapter 2, look at what it says. I'm going to begin right back in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? 
Now, what these magi would have done, these uh, wise men, if you are reading in some of the other translations of the Bible, what they would have done was they would have gone straight to Herod's palace, right? They saw this star in the sky, and they had been studying the signs. They had been studying the old prophecy. They had been studying what was written about Jesus. And there was a word in there that said that there was going to be this particular star that would appear, and that star would be a sign that Jesus had been born. The king of the Jews had been born. And so when they saw that star, immediately they went to Herod's palace, right? They went to where Herod was and they began asking, where's the king who has been born? Because in their world, and, and I think in our world as well, a king would have been born in a palace, right? A king would have been royalty. They wouldn't have been born in a stable or on the street or in a cave or any of the other stories that we hear about where Jesus was born. They would have been born in a palace. And so these magi show up at Herod's palace and say, where is this king who's been born? And Herod's like, hey, the king is here. Right? I'm the king. I was born a long time ago. The king is here, right? Um, and he's, he's perplexed by their question. The Bible says he was disturbed by their question. And he sends them on their way to find this king. Because Herod had plans for this king. Now, these magi, the word magi actually means um, magician, right? They, were, um, they, were, um, they weren't quite sorcerers, but they were also, at the same time, they weren't like uh, David Blaine, abracadabra, pick a card, any card kind of magicians, right? They studied the signs in the sky, and they uh, read the words and prophecy, and they kind of put two and two together. They had uh, the ability to interpret dreams. They were almost like scientists, but not quite. But they had deeper understanding than most people did, and that's one of the reasons why some of the versions of the Bible call them wise men. Um, because they were known as the wise men of their day. They were Persians and they were Persian priests. Um, and, and so they came traveling uh, from the west. They came traveling east to Bethlehem in search of Jesus because they knew that Jesus had been born because the stars were telling them so. They were astrologers, right? They paid attention to the night sky. They paid attention to what was going on. And they knew that Jesus had been born and they came in search of him when you read something about the magi these wise men it always says they were pagans they weren't believers they weren't followers of god they did not believe in the god of scripture right but they knew that god was up to something they knew that something had happened there were things that were beginning to click for them in their head and they were going in search of truth and so we have these two characters that this story opens with. On the one hand, we have Herod, this guy that was determined to stop whatever God was doing because what God was doing ultimately would get in the way of what he was doing, right? It would get in the way of his ideals and what he had planned for his own life. It would stand in the way of the course of his life where he was kind of in this indecisive place trying to figure out which of his However many sons, 10 different wives, at least 10 different sons were going to reign on his throne. And so Herod's there on this one side. And on the other side, we have these magi who have seen this star and they know for certain that God has other plans and that those plans don't include Herod. And they go in search of the Lord. They go in search of God. And the question that I wrestled with this week at least most of this week, is who do I relate with more? Do I relate more, identify more with Herod, or do I identify more with the Magi? 
Which one do I identify with more? Now, you may be wondering why I'm out in the world. Am I standing here and asking that question? And of course, my gut reaction, just like hopefully your gut reaction is, is that you would say the Magi. I identify more with the Magi, right? Um, because I would like to be a wise man, wise woman who is seeking the Lord. And I'm definitely not trying to kill Jesus. If I was, I, I wouldn't be here, right? I'm not an assassin or anything like that. Like here it was. So, so our gut reaction, I, I believe, I, I hope is to say that I identify more with, with, with the Magi. But when it comes down to more day-to-day, complex, in-the-moment decisions, right, the actuality of our actions, right, what we actually do, do we relate more with Herod or do we relate more with the Magi? Right? Is what I'm doing in my life progressing the gospel or is there in some way that I'm standing and hindering the gospel? Does my life further what God is trying to do? And I think that's really the question that I'm trying to get at. Does my life uh, as a whole even further what God is trying to do, wanting to do through humans in this world? Or are there times when I say, God, not me, I can't do it. I'm just not willing. Right? Are there times that we don't even say, God, I'm not willing, but our actions kind of go in that way, right? That's just kind of the way that our life is, is trending, right? Who do I identify with more? Do I identify with Herod or do I identify with the Magi? Am I seeking the Lord or am, am I hindering what God is doing? This is a very introspective question because only we can answer that, right? Only we can answer when we say no to God. Right. Because other people often aren't able to see that. We don't know what God is is um, is is um, is challenging us to as a next step in our life. You see, we believe, uh, you know, very firmly that there are next steps in the Christian life and that there's never a point in our life that we get to this uh, that we get to this. I've arrived moment. Right. Where it's like, I, I've arrived, I'm a follower of Jesus, there's no more work for me to do in moving more towards Christ-likeness in my life. That just doesn't happen, right? We never get to that point. And so there's always next steps in our life, right? And that begins from the time before we ever know who Jesus is. We hear the message, and the next step for us is, I believe that message. And then when we believe that message, the next step for us is, I want to be baptized into Jesus Christ, and I want to become a part of what He doing and then when we do that there's a next step and that next step may be i want to share in communion with the body of believers and and i want to fellowship around uh, the table with them and i want to uh, i want to be a part of this community and that might be a next step and even in part of the church a next step may be becoming a part of a city group a small group that meets in people's homes and studying the scriptures together and growing in the faith a next step may be letting go of some things in our life there's always these next steps in the christian life but what I've found in my own life is this. That there's often times, and as I mature, those times are becoming less and less, but there's often times that I'm just not willing to take the next step. That I've just been unwilling to take whatever that next step, and I even knew what it was. I knew what God was pulling me to, almost tugging me towards. I felt that tug in my life, and I was unwilling to take the next step. And I was hindering what God wanted to do in my life, in my community, in my world around me, through me. 
You see, the incredible thing about God is that God has chosen not just to work in us, but work through us. And that means that there are things that God wants to do, not just in you and in your home. There's not just ways that God wants to transform you internally and change your mind about some things. Um, But God wants to transform the world around you. Right. God is on a mission and God's mission ultimately transforms, 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 transforms the world around us. And so, yeah, the Magi said yes to what God wanted to do. And Herod said no. And I think that's the question for us to wrestle with this Christmas season. Are we saying yes to what God wants to do? Or are we saying no, like Herod? Now, there's three questions, I think, that come out of this story that help us to wrestle with this question. The first one is, who or what is influencing my decisions, right? Who or what is influencing my decisions? We see in this story and in history that Herod had all these different ideas for his life, but he was a very indecisive man, right? He couldn't make up his mind. In fact, towards the end of his life, and actually when Jesus was born, I think he was, he was in either in his late 60s, early 70s, right? And, and, uh, and, and so he was trying to figure out who, his, um, who the next king was going to be, which of these sons that he had was going to be the next king. And in that process, I think he, he killed a wife, killed some sons, right? He wrote uh, at least six different wills that he wrote in the span of about two different years, right? Uh, where he was uh, trying to figure out who was going to receive all that he had to give, right? This great kingdom that he had built. He was known as Herod the Great, and he was determined to build this dynasty, right? And so his ideas, this ideal of power, this ideal of legacy, this ideal of influence was influencing his decisions, right? He wanted to leave a legacy where people would talk about Herod the Great, Now, I imagine every time Herod heard himself called Herod the Great, which is what he's known as, uh, every time he heard that, a smile would come across his face because that was his goal in life. He was driven by power. He was driven by fame. He wanted to make a name for himself. And ultimately, that influenced the decisions that he made. And he was unable. He was actually, I think you could say, handicapped, right, from following God, right? He was crippled in a sense from following God because of the desires, the ideas that he had in his own life, the things that were influencing his decisions. And so he was almost like a man going mad towards the end of his life as he had all these voices telling him what he should do, how he should act, and he could not listen for the voice of God. He was unable to pay attention to what God was doing. But then we have these magi in this story who were influenced by God out of whatever background history they were coming from that wasn't one of Judaism. They weren't Jews. They had no concept of of, of the one God of creation, right? And they come out of this background, but they know that God is up to something. And they make this bold decision, uh, not even being fully sure of what God was doing. They make this bold decision, whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of that. Whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of that. I think that's a bold decision for us to make today. That's just saying whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of it. And being willing to surrender to our own ideas for how our life would go 
being willing to disconnect from influences and different voices that are constantly bombarding us with ideas of how we should live our lives, being able to disconnect from these expectations that are coming often externally from other people and beginning to listen for what God would have me to do. You see, the Magi were able to do that. And they were able to pack up their things and go in search of the Lord. I think the question is who or what is influencing our decisions today? Am I being influenced by a desire for a position or for power or for influence? Or do I want to leave a name for myself? What's most important for me? Is that God? This story is challenging us to make God the most important thing. You see, I, I had this, this visual in my head all week of this, you know, when they say you're on the fence about something. And a lot of times we're on the fence, right? We're kind of teeter-tottery. We're, we're kind of living on both sides. There's times when I'm saying yes to God. There's times when I'm saying no to God. Um, but the reality is we can't stay on the fence forever. We fall off one way or the other. We get drawn one way or the other. And what this, the scriptures are challenging us to do is make that hard decision is to begin progressing in the direction of the Lord. Where more and more our lives, our decisions are influenced by the Lord. If not, we run the risk of becoming like, like Herod. So who's influencing your decisions? The Christmas story challenges us to ask that very question. The second question I think this story is challenging us to respond to or to ask is, how do I respond under pressure? How do I respond under pressure? Herod was under enormous pressure from the Roman Empire. Although he was the king of the Jews and he ruled over Judea, Judea was a part of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was a growing empire. Uh, And so Herod knew that there was a power greater than himself He just didn't know that that power was God. He thought it was Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire. And he was under enormous pressure to govern these people and to keep peace and to get them to do what he said to do and to rule this uh, Judea in such a way that the Roman emperor would be proud of him, right? That the Roman emperor would be pleased with what he did. And so he was under this pressure to be and to do a certain thing. And he gave in to that pressure. And he ruled with an iron fist. He ruled in such a way that the Roman emperor was pleased with the way he ruled. He was under pressure. You know, there's times in our life that we find ourselves under pressure to do or be certain things. Maybe it's pressure on our jobs. And it's hard to draw this analogy from Herod, who was a king, to our lives. But I believe the analogy is, is real. Um, And that's that there's times in our lives that we're under pressure, pressure on our jobs, pressure from our family, pressure from expectation, whether it's external expectation or internal expectation, pressure from our own ideas and dreams of how we would have our life to turn out, pressure from what we want to accomplish, pressure from our spouse, pressure from relationships. We're, We're under pressure. Constantly in this life, we find ourselves under pressure. And the scriptures are challenging us to face this question 
And that's how do I respond under pressure? Not just how do I live my life when things are easy, right? When things seem to be going well. How do I live my life when I'm gathered with the community of believers? How do I live my life when I'm with my friends who kind of believe as I do and do as I do and are on the same track as I am, on the same journey, and there's not a lot of pressure there. But how do I, uh, how do I respond when the pressure is turned up? And it's difficult to make decisions that are in line with the faith. When it's difficult to walk in the way of Jesus. You see, the scriptures are always challenging us to be people of integrity. And people of integrity are people who, are, um, who appear to be the same person no matter what environment and whatever setting that they are in. And so whether the pressure's turned up and life is stressful and we're frustrated and things are difficult or whether things seem to be going just the way we hoped they would go, are we the same person? Do we appear the same? Do we act the same? Do we still follow Jesus in all environments that we find ourselves in? The thing I love about the scriptures is it's challenging us um, something that's very encouraging. And, and that's that... When we endure and continue in the faith, when we find our lives under pressure, that we'll discover almost in retrospect often um, that that pressure is perfecting us, that that pressure is building something up in us, is doing something in our life that only hardship, that only struggle, that only difficulty, that only pressure can do. If you look in James chapter 2, it kind of talks a little bit about this in that, that, um, that first, actually, James chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Listen to what it says. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. And I love the fact that it uses that word, pure joy. Pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Literally, it says perfect, that you may be perfect not lacking anything. And so consider it pure joy when you're going through different trials and hardships, when you're, it gets hard to walk in the faith, when it gets hard to follow Jesus, when you find yourself under pressure, but you're still following Jesus. Consider it joy because that pressure is perfecting you. It's making something good emerge out of you. And so I challenge you this morning, when you find yourself under pressure, keep the faith. Continue to press on. Continue to persevere. Surround yourself with people who will walk with you. Surround yourself with people who will encourage you. Dig deeper in the community of believers. Become a part of the church. Join a city group of people that will be a part of your community that will encourage you. Wherever you are, make sure that you're walking with other people who are walking in the same way. Now, we don't have to put ourselves in a bubble and only hang out with people who are followers of Jesus or or, uh, only hang out with people who believe the exact same things that we do. But we got to make sure that we're surrounded with those people because the pressure will overwhelm us. It will overtake us and we'll be left with regret. The scriptures are saying, hey, that pressure is perfecting you. Take joy in it, but make sure you have what you need to endure it. Third thing I want you to see, the third question is, am I willing to take a journey? Am I willing to take a journey? When we read this story, we see the Magi. The Magi um, saw this star in the east, and they had a couple of decisions they could have made, right? They could have ignored that star and said, hey, that may be just an uh, old wise tale that isn't really true. That star might not mean anything. 
Or they could say, we've read about this star and we believe that it's true that the king of the Jews is to be born in Bethlehem and we're going in search of him. The thing I love that these wise men did, the Magi did, is they went in search of the Lord. And they didn't know where he was. They didn't know exactly what they would find. And they went straight to Herod and they began asking questions, but they were seeking the Lord. They were seeking to find truth. They were seeking to find out about what God was doing in this world. And it's an incredible thing they, because, uh, you know, people of, of scholars or whatever, people who've read this story have had trouble with it for years and years and years. Because here you have these magi who were basically practicing, uh, practicing uh, astrology and uh, reading horoscopes, <laughs> practically, uh, who, who were trying to find out more about God. And in the midst of that, they, they found out more about God. And what the scriptures are challenging us to see is, is that God will reveal himself whenever we are seeking him. God will reveal himself whenever we are seeking him. We may not be seeking him in the right place, but here's the thing. We, mu- we, 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 can't, we can't say because I found God here that that's where God is, but we must trust God to lead us to the way of truth. And so we see these magi who took this journey that led them to the truth. And when they arrived there, what does it say? They began to worship him and they presented unto him their treasure. You see, we must be willing to take a journey. The walk of faith, the life of faith is a journey, right? It doesn't happen overnight. We don't become perfect overnight. We don't um, become uh, superior beings overnight. We don't become more moral overnight, but we come convinced that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That he is who he said he is, who the scriptures teach us that he is. And we begin this journey, this walk of faith that begins now and doesn't have an ending in the near future. It's all the way through this life where we're being sanctified. We're walking more and more in sync with the Lord. More and more in sync with God's way, the way God created us to live. So are you willing to take a journey? You see, for some of us, we have already started this journey and we've been on it for a long time. And we've found bumps and bruises, hills and valleys, hardship and times of ease. But we're still on the journey. For some of us, we haven't even begun that journey, right? We see the the starting point and we haven't begun to walk with the Lord. And we're still a little bit hesitant. But the Christmas story is challenging us to begin this journey of faith. To begin this journey of faith. That through hardship and ease, through sun and shadow, through trial and tribulation, God is perfecting us and working something in us. You see, this this story is challenging us to get off the fence. To become like the Magi. To go in search of the Lord. To make a decision this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that, um, that, yeah, you give us decisions to make. And God, I just pray that we'll find ourselves making decisions for you. That more and more in our life we'll find ourselves saying yes to God. That we'll find ourselves saying yes to you, yes to your way, yes to your word, yes to what you want to do both in us and through us. 
God, I just pray that you help us to yield to you. To go and search. And God, you, you promise in the scripture, seek and ye shall find. And so God, we're holding you to that. We believe that as we seek you with all of our heart, that we will find you. God, if we, as we seek you with everything that is within us, that the truth will become clearer. That as we seek you, God, genuinely, that we'll more fully understand your ways and we'll more confidently walk in them. God, we ask for your help. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.